Well, we are in the summer of Psalms, where we're taking the, the Sunday's worship times this summer to go through different Psalms and uh, highlight them, to enjoy them. And I hope that you are taking some time throughout the week to enjoy the Psalms yourself, both reading them and uh, celebrating them. And we, uh, we have categorized the Psalms as Psalms of orientation, kind of giving us a point of reference, Psalms of disorientation, in which a lot of them are laments and struggles that people are having and just times of waiting or discomfort or pain or oppression, and they're crying out to God in those psalms. And then there is also a third set of psalms that are psalms of new orientation, where we've been given a new perspective. And most of those are looking in retrospect back to God's faithfulness and reminding us of who he is. And our psalm this morning is Psalm 103, and it is a psalm of new orientation. It's a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of David that came, he wrote this psalm very late in his life, towards the end of his life. So it's not only a psalm of new orientation, it's a psalm of retrospection and remembering and looking back as well. So let's remember that as we, as we go through this. Um, you know, Psalm 103, I, I love the psalm, and we'll read through it here in a minute. It's in three specific verses, so we'll deal with each of those sections as we get to it. But I use Psalm 103 quite often in memorial services and funerals because it's a great psalm of remembrance of God's faithfulness. Um, it's a staunch reminder that we don't last that long as humans. Our life is short, but God's faithfulness remains always. I think part of David's remembrance as he's getting to the end of his life, there's that famous line in the psalm that says, your youth is renewed as the eagles. And he's remembering about what it was like to be young. And now remembering as an older person, looking back in retrospect, you know what? Maybe it wasn't so much about me all the time. Maybe it was more about God. In fact, if I had not changed music and everything today with Steve and thing, I probably would have renamed the message this morning. It's not about us. It's about God. But we'll stick with, bless the Lord, oh my soul, because that is the way the psalm begins. But, you know, as, as young people, as kids, as teenagers, as young adults, and, and even probably, honestly, quite a lot of us as adults, we live our lives and our focus really is on ourselves. And it's natural. And it's hard to break that idea that it's not all about me. It is all about God if we can change our perspective a little bit that way. So as David writes this psalm, that's where he's coming from, remembering God's faithfulness through his life and coming up with a deep spiritual thirst to care about God and to worship God, not just with his mouth, but with his whole being. So let me read the first five verses of the psalm. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So David's remembering maybe some of the highlights of his life, maybe some of the low points. But if you remember David's story, as a young shepherd with older brothers that were off fighting in a war against the Philistines, David was chosen to take on Goliath, right? 
And with the swing of the slingshot and the, the stone, he, he falls Goliath and has great prestige with the king and the country and the Israelites and everything. And, and he's eventually made king. And he rules as king, was a wonderful musician and everything else. And then he has this moment of failure and weakness. He recognizes the beauty of a woman that lives next door. And he lusts after her. And he has an affair with her. And in great pain and remission and, and trying to deal with everything, he tries to cover it up. So he actually sends her husband to the front where the battle in the army is raging so that he'll be killed. And that's what happened. So those are some of the things David is remembering as he's writing these words. So he's speaking from experience. God's faithfulness, his forgiveness, his restoration, his care, all those things David has felt in his life. You know, one of my favorite authors is a, uh, tells a story of in middle school. Um, he wasn't much of a student, so he signed up for every shop class he could. And in one of his shop classes early on, the, the instructor, the shop teacher, was giving him safety protocols and everything for all the different tools that are in the shop class, the woodworking class. And it started out with the hand tools and, um, you know, the hand saws and other things, and then they went to the power tools. And that's where they had his full attention because he wanted to work with the power tools. So they did with the drill press and a bandsaw and things, and then they got to this thing over in the corner, the table saw. And the instructor was very careful and cautious, and he's showing everybody what to do before he ever hit the power button. So he's gone through everything and says, now you're going to push the wood towards into this table saw, but when you start to get towards the end, you need to stop what you're doing and get a push stick and push it through so you can keep your hands away from the saw blade. As I'm telling this story, Wayne, I should have given you a little warning before we were telling this story, but um, so the shop teacher's going through all this, and as he's showing the students, the students realize that he's missing three fingers on one of his hands. Now, as they're listening to this guy give all the instructions and the dangers and the power of the table saw, they're probably realizing, you know what? This guy's probably had an encounter with a table saw and it didn't turn out too well. But you know what? If you're going to take instructions from a shop teacher on how to work a table saw into safety, would you listen a little more intently than somebody that's had experience with it and opposed to a guy that has all of his fingers and is just talking from theory? David is not talking from theory about God. He's talking from his real-life experiences of his successes that had nothing to do with him. He was a little shepherd boy that took down Goliath. It was all about God. When he was made king, it wasn't about him. It was about God putting himself out there and reminding people that it's about him and I can use anybody in positions of power. And then when he had his failures, he remembers that it was because of his mistakes that God was proven faithful. So when we look at this psalm and we remember and we give God praise, let it come from a place of remembering in your own life and in the life of those around you, what has made God praiseworthy? What has left you in awe and saying, you know what, it's not about me, it's about God. And if that can create a bit of a spiritual thirst for God, that's what David is experiencing right now. That's where this psalm is flowing from. An intense thirst for more of God and for recognizing what God has brought him through. That's where these words come from. So the second part of the psalm really goes from verses 6 to 18. And 
The first five are dealing with David realizing it's not about me, it's about God. This next section is about the nation of Israel being reminded and remembering that it's not about them, but in every step that they've taken, everywhere they've gone, it's always been about God and his faithfulness. Read with me as we go through verses 6 through 18. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Now, as soon as he mentions Moses, every Israelite has a point of reference because they remember what happened and the way God used Moses to bring them out of Egypt and to lead them to the promised land through the the desert and through the time of wandering. So he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. A father has compassion on his children. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish in the flower in the field. And the wind blows over them and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His righteousness with their children's children and with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. It's a big word at the bottom of that passage section we just read to remember his covenant. All of the list that we just read of the attributes of God and the way he deals with his people, the Israelites, again, has nothing to do with them. They haven't earned anything. They're just a pain in his side. But he is faithful, and he redeems, and all these descriptive words of how he's cared for them. But you know what? By mentioning Moses, they're remembering the covenant. And the covenant that God has with them is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And it's back in the book of Genesis, chapter 15. And I want to get a little descriptive so you can understand the weight and the power and the significance of the Abrahamic covenant with the people of Israel. Because remember, David's spelling out for us here why they know and remember it's not about them and it's about God. So the Abrahamic covenant, God shows up to Abraham. And he has a conversation with them of how he is going to, he's his chosen one to lead his people. And he gives all kinds of laid out plans of how this is going to take place. And then in the late afternoon of this meeting, he starts to tell Abraham about about all the things that he's going to do for him. How his children's children will multiply and take over the earth. That they'll have a new place to go, the promised land. All these things that they'll, it will eventually move from a corporate type God to a personal God to them. So here's how a covenant works back in the time of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham knew what a covenant was because there was no lawyers and police to make you, you know, live up to what you say you're going to do. It was all about covenants between people. So what the, the people would do is they would actually come together, if there was two of them making a covenant with each other, and they would actually sacrifice an animal by completely having it right down the middle. And it would be laying there physically on the ground. 
And then each person would say what they're coveting to the other person. And then they would physically walk counter through the middle of this animal. And while they were walking through that, they would basically be saying, may this, be, may this happen to me if I don't keep my half of the covenant. So Abraham knows the significance of what's going on. God provided an animal. It was cut in half. God's on one side. Abraham's on the other. After all this is going on throughout the new afternoon, now it's nighttime, so it's dark, and Abraham doesn't make a move through the walking through the animal. It says God shows up in a fiery cauldron, and that fiery cauldron moves towards Abraham through the animal. It was a covenant made between God and Abraham, but it had nothing to do with Abraham. It had everything to do about God. Because nothing Abraham did or said or would do, his successes, his failures or whatever, would have any contingency on that covenant. God's covenant saying, you are my people. I'm full of grace and mercy and restoration and acceptance. God says it's all about me, that covenant. So when they're remembering all this, and they're remembering the attributes of God that hopefully create a thirst to be with God more, and to be at a place with God that you want to honor him and to worship him, not on the surface, but with all that is within us. Nothing else you're going to remember about an animal being cut in half this morning, aren't you? Let's go on to the, the last part of, actually, let me go back and touch just the, the words in that middle section of the psalm. Forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies, renews. Those are some powerful words. I hope you can just kind of let that resonate over you a little bit today and think about what are the ways in your life, in the lives of your family members and those of your friends that God has forgiven you, that he's provided healing. We all know that he provides redemption in this life and the next, that he crowns us. That's part of our, our, our being part of the family, being part of the covenant, and that he satisfies. And when we mess up, he renews after he forgives and restores and he heals. Let's go to the last section, which, you know, in the first two, David was realizing and being reminded that it's not about him, that it's all about God. The Israelites in the second section, it really wasn't about them. If it was, they'd really be in trouble. But it was all about God. Now in this last section, I think David just wants to make a point that not just in our lives, but in the whole scheme of creation, of heaven and earth. You know, if you remember the, the Lord's Prayer, I use this in confirmation class with our students when we're learning how to pray. It's not a right way and a wrong way, but here's like a pattern of prayer, right? Is the Lord's Prayer. You get a third of the way through the prayer before it has anything to do with us. We want to get that it's all about God out there before we start thinking about what it is we need or what we want or God's provision for us. So I think that is the way this psalm ends. And let me read these last few verses for you. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you his mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. You, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere, in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So 
we're reminded that as it was with David and with Israel, the whole earth above it and below it and beyond it realizes God's abundance and God's presence. So David and I think the Israelites developed a spiritual hunger for more of God because of the way he responded to them in their life. What about us? Let's take the last couple of minutes here, be honest with ourselves, and look from this day forward, what is your spiritual hunger, thirst, look like for God? Is it happen? Is it kind of a roller coaster? Is it up like down like this? Is it just straight across? I want to just propose to us this morning three insights that the psalm gives us that I think will remind us and challenge us as we leave this morning to answer that question, what is the level of my spiritual hunger and thirst for God that leaves me in a place that when I praise him and I worship him, it comes from my inmost being, my soul. I think first, the psalm reminds us to stimulate our affection for God by remembering what he's done for the people of Scripture, for our lives, for our family's lives, for our church's life, God's faithfulness, and through our lives and others that lead to an affection and a desire to praise. Secondly, I think the psalm challenges us to meditate on him and his attributes, to meditate on everything that's about him that's not about us. His attributes, his abundance, his covenant, his covenant that is for us as well. To make it about him and not about us. And thirdly, and this is sometimes the hardest one, it has to do with obedience too. Because we've heard it, haven't we? We've heard what God desires from our lives. That it needs to be about Jesus and us trying to be followers of Jesus and imitators of Jesus and not about some book of rules or anything else. So as we remember those words, like redemption and grace and mercy and healing and renewal and patience, not being treated the way we deserve to be treated. God's covenant with us, may that evoke in us a new spiritual thirst for him that starts turning into worship and praise that's not just as we show up, but it's everywhere we go and everywhere we do and the way we live our lives and the way we interact with other people that we want to be followers of Christ and people that when we worship God, do it with a full heart. Amen.